Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwarztrauber. On today's show, in Massachusetts, a new 20% tax on Uber and Lyft will subsidize the taxi industry. And in the interest of coming up with new and exciting ways to talk about Uber on this show, here's another one. So joining me is our resident Uber commentator, Jared Meyer, research fellow at the Manhattan Institute and author of Uber Positive, Why Americans Love the Sharing Economy. Jared, welcome back. It's been so long since we talked about a new Uber story. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, we do we keep uh, finding new things to talk about, but with how much this industry is changing and how much policymakers continue to try to tax, regulate it, or even subsidize it, looks like we're not going to run out of things anytime soon. I mean, if we ever did actually have resolution to many of these regulatory battles, would you basically be out of a job? Yeah. Is, is yeah. that fair to say? Uh-huh. I'd be an Uber driver then. That's so while you do write articles, you know, indicating your support for various policies or certain things like that, actually, you just want more conflict, right? Well, it's like, you know, if if they ended up curing breast cancer, the breast cancer charity would be out of business. Like, what do they do? They'd just be like, I guess we go home now. That's kind of like what would happen if I ever got my way on Uber. Like, wow. I guess my work here is done. Wow. <laughs> that's uh, that's some nice company you're putting yourself in there. Um, <laughs> clearly, the, the importance of the work is equal. Uh, but anyway, so, so Jared, we, you know, we've talked about basically everything. I mean, the labor issue is the biggest one. Um, we've talked about certain models that are being floated around in terms of employee benefits. And we talked about the lawsuits uh, that resulted in things like driver's councils and settlements to drivers and but where lawyers made all the money. But really, we've had a couple of new recent things. And that's why you've been on the show. Our last episode, we talked about subsidizing Uber, uh, how some cities who have bad public transit or not enough public transit are thinking about making it cheaper for people to ride an Uber as a substitute. Uh, but today we're talking about the taxi industry. And a lot of people lament the fact that the taxi industry has died. Uh, the drivers kind of feel like they got a raw deal because they were promised no competition or limited competition. The price of medallions in New York City have plummeted. So is this basically a bailout now? So every time you ride in an Uber, 20 cents goes to the taxi industry, or is it a percentage of that? How does this work? Well, what happens is every Uber ride in Massachusetts or Lyft ride, any other, I guess, transportation network company for hire vehicle, what you're doing then is taking 20 cents and adding that onto the fee and then five cents of that fee. So a quarter of the new tax goes directly to the taxi industry and a taxi you know, council, they can figure out how they want to spend it. So they don't even know yet what are the exact ways that they're going to spend this windfall, but it is going to go directly to the taxi industry. Five cents. So what happens with the other 15? Is that just more money for government? Uh, so half of the 20 cents goes to the area where the ride took place, the local government. And if you could think about this, like in D.C., they have a, a, a fee that they assess. A lot of other cities have fees on both taxi rides and Uber rides. So this part isn't exactly new. And then another five cents goes to a general state transportation fund, you know, maybe build some high-speed rail or whatever they decide to do out in Massachusetts, improve the highways. So it's safe to say that 15 out of the 20 cents is normal stuff, right? This is just like essentially taxing the transaction, making sure that the government makes some money off of Uber and Lyft so that they could theoretically repair the roads and do whatever, the same idea behind a sales tax or any other tax that's just on a business transaction. But the novel thing is that five, five cents goes directly to the taxi industry. Now, I've always wondered about bailouts because it's you can make an argument that essentially taxi drivers were sold a bill of goods in many cities, depending on how the industry works. You are going to get this cab. You're going to pay often high fees to rent it every day. But the one thing you can guarantee on is a, a guarantee is a cap 
on taxis, so you're not going to have that much competition, and the fares are going to be relatively stable, and you're going to make X amount of money. And when Uber and Lyft came along and disrupted this industry, they disrupted that deal that was sold to these drivers. And that's why, you know, in many European cities, you've seen crackdowns on Uber and even cities in the United States because this industry is getting disrupted. Now we could argue about whether they should have been regulated less or they should have innovated more or whatever, but there are drivers who really got screwed by this. And is this an attempt to bail them out really? Or is this just a response to donations from the taxi industry? What do you see as the motivation here? Well, I think before we talk about that, there's two myths that we kind of need to correct. The first is that individual drivers aren't the ones going out and buying these, say, you know, million dollar plus medallions like they were selling in New York City up until a few years ago. They're not saving up. These aren't hardworking immigrant entrepreneurs who have come in, saved a few thousand dollars a year until they could finally buy their own taxi medallion and operate a small business. Instead, it's a lot of large uh, either credit unions or financers who are using highly leveraged debt financing to buy more and more medallions. So when you look at stats that show New York City medallions falling from $1.3 million in 2013 to about 500 to 600,000 today, a lot of people will say, oh, that's pretty much a takings by Uber. They have taken property from the taxi owners. But that's not the case. That's not what's happening. Because if you look back a few years before, these medallions almost doubled in prices just over about five or six years. So we're getting back to kind of a normal price now. So the competition from Uber and Lyft, far from maybe unfairly destroying the value of a medallion, it kind of burst the bubble. Yeah. And the reason we had a bubble was, as I said, highly leveraged debt financing, which what it allows you to do is borrow and then bid up the price of medallions. So we had one person, Gene Friedman, who owned about 1,800 medallions throughout the U.S. And what he'd do at auctions is bid higher than anyone else was. It just Let's say if someone was bidding a million dollars for a medallion, he'd just say you know, 1.1 million. Just outbid himself because the more that a medallion sold for, the richer he would look on paper with all his existing medallions. So it was a bubble, and Uber and Lyft's introduction dried up that financing and kind of brought it back to a more sane market. So it's at the level that it was even before Uber and Lyft launched, which is interesting. So yeah, rather than saying that you killed the industry, maybe you normalize the industry, and having competition can have that effect, especially if you have a monopoly price before that. So getting back to this Massachusetts bill, what's the motivation here? Because that's probably what most people are thinking. Why do this? Well, what the taxi industry says, there's there's quite a few different spokesmen or people who have tied to it, who have come out and given quotes on the new law. But one of the main things they want to do is say that they need some money so that they can innovate and become more like Uber and Lyft. So we need to tax the successful companies so that we can let the unsuccessful ones try to be more innovative. That's their argument. We saw this in Chicago when uh, Mayor Emanuel was saying that we should have the city build a sort of Uber or Lyft for all the taxis. And have you know taxpayers pay for it, even though there was a perfectly good system that was just created on its own outside of government that they could just let exist. So they're trying to make themselves more like Uber and Lyft. And also, I'm sure a part of it is just trying to get more profits so that then they can maybe stay in business longer. This sounds like when a government agency argues that the reason they're still using you know Microsoft Outlook 2003 or their systems failing or everyone's computers crap is because they don't have enough money. And a lot of skeptics of government spending would say, your budget's fine. It's the way you spend your money. It's the allocation of resources. And that's kind of hilarious to me that the taxi industry all of a sudden wants to innovate because 
Every time a basic customer convenience thing has been introduced into this industry, they have fought tooth and nail to prevent it from happening. So look at credit card machines and New York City cabs. Pretty sure that the final time that that was implemented, the technology, it's amazing how long the technology was available before they implemented the credit card machine. And finally, you had Bloomberg, who basically, because he was a billionaire mayor, didn't need taxi industry money, where that in contrast to de Blasio, the current mayor of New York City, who's gotten a lot, he just said, probably quite unilaterally, like, if your credit card machine is broken, it's a free ride for the customers. We're making it a law that every taxi has to have a credit card machine. Really rammed that through. This wasn't the industry embracing technology. And that's been one of the major criticisms of the taxi industry is that you've had basically the same business model for like 100 years since the invention of the automobile. Very few changes. You have a meter introduced. Okay, fine. You have the credit card machine. But they've always fought these convenience things. Customer service was not at the top of their agenda. So now it's kind of disingenuous to turn around and say, we need a government infusion to do what all businesses have to do. And they're kind of getting confused about whether this is private industry or public industry. And sure, it's a gray area because the government is involved. There are unions. But a lot of these people are independent contractors. A lot of the taxis are private businesses. So why should they get a tax or cash infusion? Like what what have they done to deserve this? <laughs> and if you look at how that, uh, just to reiterate that they've fought these changes, what they wanted in Massachusetts was a complete ban on Uber and Lyft. That's what they were pushing for. I get in Twitter fights all the time with these taxi industry <laughs> backers. I don't nice. know why I continually waste my time doing this, but <laughs> what they'll talk about is, oh no, you just hate the taxis, even though it's these regulations that made them you know, unable to compete. I, and I try to articulate that if the taxis would have first came when Uber and Lyft started gaining traction and said, we need some deregulation so we can start competing with these companies, I would have been on the taxi side. But if you look, even to this recent example in Massachusetts, what they've done all the way until the end was try to push for an outright ban on ride sharing. They're not the ones who are pro-innovation, no matter how much these taxi trolls try to convince you of that. And of course, rent seekers are going to rent seek. And the taxi industry is hardly the first industry to ask for favors from government when competition was introduced. I mean, you see this all over the place. So I am skeptical of how well that would have worked. I mean, sure, they would have gotten Jared Meyer, research fellow, on their side, and that might have helped them get some deregulation, but it's a hard pivot to make. I mean, for the longest time, every time you go to City Hall, it's to ask for more money or uh, fewer cabs to keep the prices high or whatever it was. And then one day, Uber and Lyft show up and you're going to go there and ask for a deregulation package. Not sure that's politically viable. So to be fair to the taxi industry, they probably did what was logical for them because I'm not sure how well that would have worked. But in this in this world now where we're talking about subsidizing Uber and taxing Uber to pay for cabs, are there regulations on taxis that could be removed that would make them more competitive? I mean, this is not a pure market by any means. Oh, yeah. And one thing we should look at is regulation of taxi fares. One of the reasons it's so hard to find a taxi in the rain is they don't have a special you know, surge pricing mechanism or primetime pricing mechanism that comes in and allows drivers to make more by driving when it's you know, rationally less pleasant and more dangerous. So we see this. Uh, it, there are some areas and every city has different rules where they'll have a snow emergency and then fares are higher in taxis. But in to bring uh I guess, greater service and the opportunity to cut base fares and make more in times of high demand. 
to allow taxis to have a sort of dynamic pricing system would be something they could have pushed for. The other thing is clearly just getting rid of the medallions, but again, existing medallion owners, those rich taxi millionaires and the credit unions, they're not going to fight for that because it would pretty much lower the value or eliminate the value of what they already paid for. So we've talked about why maybe an industry that hasn't innovated doesn't necessarily deserve this kind of cash infusion or, you know, what the problems with asking a competitor and a disruptor to pay for the carnage when they come in and disrupt an industry. You know, you didn't ask Google to pay off Alta Vista when they supplanted them as the biggest uh, search engine. You don't ask Gmail to pay off Yahoo Mail because more people use that. I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing to ask a successful upstart to then pay for the wreckage, even if that wreckage is very sympathetic. But the companies support this bill. That's an interesting thing, right? And the Republican governor of Massachusetts supports this bill. Theoretically, Republicans are free market. They don't necessarily believe in these kinds of ransom payments uh, to operate. The companies, they've had a very strong capitalist streak, you know, talking about how they shouldn't be tightly regulated. Why is the Republican governor and the two companies supporting this bill? Well, there's two ways to look at it. One is you can take the pessimistic view, which is that Uber and Lyft want to keep out new competition, and this 20-cent fee might make it harder for new companies to compete. And then going to Governor Baker, it could be that he actually isn't free market at all and is in the pockets of big taxi. But I think that's not exactly the case. I think what's more likely is that Uber and Lyft were just happy they got a bill that overall allowed them to pick up in more areas, get access to the airport and convention center, have a legal framework so they know they're not going to be kicked out at any time soon or get cease and desist letters. And maybe Baker realized that as well. So while I actually, I'm worried about this bill because I think it's going to set a precedent of taxing ride sharing to pay for taxis just to keep them in existence. I think in overall, if you compare this to like the bill in Austin after the ballot initiative failed and Uber and Lyft left, there's a specific reason why Uber and Lyft aren't threatening to leave Massachusetts and Boston. It's because they can live with this. It's a stupid bill, I think, from a public policy standpoint, but it's not going to kill the ride sharing companies. Yeah. And this is kind of the sad story where companies crave certainty and they'll often agree to things that are complete BS just to get that certainty and move on. And in other tech policy debates, you know, that we've talked about on the show, charter merging with Time Warner, the FCC attaches conditions to mergers. Even if even if the Justice Department says charter and Time Warner merging, they operate in different markets, it's not going to make cable any less competitive. FCC will just attach things like seven years of free interconnection or eight years of this or 10 years of an independent monitor to make sure you're not too big. It's all this ransom. And the company says, yes. Because they do a cost-benefit analysis that says what I gain out of this certainty is better than what I lose from the ransom payment, but it's up to people in public policy who are not tied to the company and they're not only thinking about the bottom line to call bullshit. Yeah, and I think something else that we're uh, seeing that went on with this bill is the idea that we just want to keep legacy industries or certain things in existence. I know in London, for example, Mayor Khan, when he was talking about Uber's effect on the black cab industry, he said he didn't want black cabs to go the way of the red phone booths because he just thought they were iconic and essential to the city. There's still and, red phone booths in London, but my American friend who lives in London says they operate more like public urinals than actual <laughs> uh, phone booths at this point. But hey, you still have the quaint 
uh, feel of it. But if you're a tourist and you want to take a picture, make sure you're outside the phone booth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's how we uh, look at, let's say, the horse uh, horse carriages in New York City. Like now people can pay a whole lot of money to go take a smelly, boring horse ride in Central Park. Oh, that's but, interesting. So the taxi could become yeah. like a new, like quaint thing. Like you'll pay extra for the lovely experience of having a New York City cab ride in a Crown Vic rather than paying a tenth of the price <laughs> to take an Uber in a brand new Nissan. Yeah, like if we want to, <laughs> if we want to just preserve things that some people view as essential to a city, let's do it more as a you know high end tourist attraction. Yeah, like a landmarking as, situation. Yeah. Oh, that that's really uh, that's interesting. And you bring up you know the idea of legacy industry being held up and you know perpetuated beyond its natural lifespan. Again, to bring up telecom because that's a lot of what Tech Freedom does phone lines or landline telephone, copper wire, old school telephone network. A lot of companies like Verizon want to retire those copper networks so they can build fiber instead. People will still have phone service, but it'll be new. And the FCC's, you know, it's kind of a caricature, but it's not that far off. Their view is essentially if a single person in any area wants a landline telephone, it doesn't matter if it's one 90-year-old who just refuses to accept the fact that their phone service will be exactly the same, just running over a different type of connection. If there's one person out there, then that company should be forced to maintain that network. And what happens is all the money that is spent maintaining these old shitty networks that could be spent on fiber, that's not going to happen. So a company like Verizon might say, well, if you're going to force us to keep the copper wire network, we're not going to build the new network. And here that's within the same company. So that would be like if Uber had old cars (laughs) they were trying to get rid of, and Boston was like, no, 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 you got to keep the old cars because the guy who makes those old cars, he's a friend of mine and we got to keep him in business. It's just this absurd situation where there's new emerging tech and it's either being forced to pay for their competitors or it's forced to pay for their own old t- stuff that they want to get rid of. Just imagine if Microsoft were forced to keep making old versions of Windows. I mean, it's just such an absurd thing to think about. Yeah. And this happens and what policymakers will forget is that consumers are going to pay for this. They have to pay more when this old network has to be kept up for, you know, my grandma so she can keep her landline. But similarly, if you look at uh, the Massachusetts law, they actually said that this fee, the 20 cents can't be applied to drivers or riders in Massachusetts. I don't know where they think the money is going to come from. I mean, Uber just started turning a profit overall in the U.S. Uh, so they, they, policymakers think that they can put these commandments on companies and say, you know what? No, you have to pay for it, though. Your consumers or workers don't have to pay for See, it. That's so absurd because all Uber has to do is find another reason to raise the fare. And, and it could be, they did that. It too, could be safety. It could be insurance. It could be whatever. I mean, that's one of those absurd things where it's like we're going to put a mandate on you, it's going to cost money, but you're not allowed to pass that on to your customer, which is what basically every business in the world does when they are taxed or regulated and it increases their costs. So that's just, this is kind of like an absurd, just figure it out, but you better not do it that way because we're watching. I mean, it's politics, right? It's those representatives want to go back to the people of Boston and, and Massachusetts and say, don't worry, this 20 cent tax won't harm you. It's absurd. Yeah. (laughs) If if anything, it might make people throughout the rest of the country pay for it. But looking at how Uber just raised their prices around Massachusetts, uh, I think they are just trying to keep it low. What a coincidence. That's just the timing is is amazing. Well, uh, we'll certainly be seeing how this goes and whether other cities decide to follow suit. But that's it for today's show. My guest has been Jared Meyer. 
research fellow for the Manhattan Institute. He wrote an article about the Massachusetts law in Forbes. It's linked to in the show notes for today's episode. Jared, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Evan. And yeah, we'll just keep doing it. Every time there's a story, we'll keep doing it until someone tells me not to. All right. Sounds good to me. I'll, I'll come over here whenever you need me to. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, send us an email at mediatechcreative.org. Let us know what you think of the show. Find this podcast in the iTunes store on your favorite app. Please leave us a review because it will help others find the show. Thanks for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.